Welcome back to Square Horror. I'm your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm your master of ceremonies, Matt, and we're talking about trauma today. I hope you guys are ready for this actually very serious episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that your notes this time around were just trauma the musical. <laughs> yes. To like, try to lighten the mood about what we were getting into this week. Really, there's no other way to say it. Uh, this it's movie true. has a lot to say about trauma, the cycle of victimization, uh, and a lot of jump scares. So, yeah, um, normally, jump scares. Yes. So, you know, this movie is scary. Like, objectively, it's scary. It scared me. It scared me when mm-hmm. I rewatched it. It's a scary movie. Oh yeah, the scares last. Like, it's not oh, yeah. just if you know what's going to happen, you're not going to be scared. You're. St- it's still going to get you. Yeah, especially uh, because there's certain things that, um, like, we learned, and I learned, from the remake of Wrong Turn. Nowadays, because they're so good at doing <laughs> practical, like, body horror, it almost, like, in your, my mind, because it's like I'm seeing real violence and real gore, it, like, blocks mm-hmm. out my, like, descriptive memory for when I think about it. So then when I watch the movie, I'm like, oh, that's worse than I remember. <laughs> Dude, Wrong Turn 2021 fucked with you. It... Danny, it did. I really one day when we cover it, and we will trust me, we will. Uh, but I think what stood out to me about that, a lot like this movie, is that I had absolutely no expectations or reason to believe that either one of these movies was going to take itself the least bit seriously. Like, mm-hmm. do you remember when we saw the teaser trailer for this movie? And it was kind of okay. just like that opening. It wasn't opening, but like that one scene of of uh, Rose walking down the the psych ward, and uh, mm-hmm. one of her patients is just smiling. And then they have a couple of the other like jump scares from the movie just kind of peppered in. And I'm like, wow, this looks like fucking dog shit. <laughs> like all they showed was the like kind of mass market appealing like look we know what scary looks like and then they put it in a trailer okay so i i do want to talk about the elephant in the room which is the marketing for this movie which was terrible i'm gonna say it the marketing for this movie was really bad at least in terms of the trailers um the trailers made it look like it was just going to be a very like gimmicky schlocky horror movie which frankly is what i expected when i went into the movie theater a little hungover the first time when I saw this movie, <laughs> which was a mistake that I did not know I was making. Yeah, that was like when I went movies. to go to Wrong Turn High, and I was like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but so, um, I will say, the, like, different media marketing they did with this movie, like just having paying people to smile right behind home plate at baseball games they was smart, because it got people talking. Um, and it did more for the movie than the actual trailer did because the trailer didn't look good and then the word of mouth really helped it once people actually saw it and got past the oh the trailer was just not the same vibe as the movie well and despite poster... giving away one of the best ki- uh, not kills scares of the movie that is true i do have a note about it that i kind of wish they didn't put that in the trailer it because still it's still got fucking me, terror- but i didn't me like that it was in the trailer it's like you know uh that one scene from the strangers pray at night where uh she goes to hide in that little tunnel and they pull up the truck and they flash her with the headlights and she's like leave me alone and then the other doll face one pops out of the darkness 
It is like yeah. we've just started. That's like the single greatest scare in that movie, but it's the mm-hmm. end of every single one of those trailers. And I'm like, man, it gets uh, you into it. It gets you to be like, holy shit, that's kind of scary. But like, mm-hmm. if that's your best one, like save that for the movie, man. <laughs> like save it. Yeah. Like don't don't just advertise it because Smile does have quite a few jump scares, but they're almost like too scary and too important to the plot that they would put in the trailer and i think just Mm -hmm. by default that was the only one that like naturally worked as a jump scare like they couldn't just be like look she's pulling a cat out of a birthday box like you don't know the abject utter horror of that scene until you see the movie so if they'd done it in the trailer it would have been like what Mm -hmm. so yeah you're right but you're right the marketing kind of was it did a weird dance with what the movie actually was. <laughs> well, yeah, because the marketing felt more like Blumhouse's Truth or Dare from, like, six years ago. It even had the same stupid big smile, too. And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, everything nowadays is a little girl, a clown, or a smile. It's all or a one of those monster. three things. Yeah. <laughs> or a giant <laughs> monster. Or some kind of demon. <laughs> But, like, usually yeah. the demon will utilize one or all of those other, like, horror touchstones because they mm-hmm. do scare people a lot. But, I don't know, something about seeing it as, like, the the premise of a whole movie that seemingly didn't have its shit together was mm-hmm. not promising. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then I saw it and uh, took back every single thing that I've ever said. Well, yeah, I don't know about you, but I went into this movie fully expecting it to be, like, not good and something for me to just, like, enjoy how, like, mediocre to bad it was. And then I left the movie, like, psychoanalyzing myself. <laughs> and no, I was just I, like, I did this too. is not how I thought my Sunday was going to go today. No, I, I saw it on, like, a Thursday after I was done with class, and I'm like, it's four o'clock. I got, like, four or five hours to kill. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. doing anything today. Um, I was walking out of class. I saw that um, the Rialto had it in Macomb. I'm like, you know, it starts in 45 minutes. I can go home. I can eat and I can go see this movie. If it sucks, you know, whatever. I, I, you know, I'm not lo- missing out on anything. Yeah. And uh, like a lot of movies that came out in the like last four to five months of 2022, I went in with pretty much no expectation, uh, mainly just hoping to be entertained. Uh, and mm-hmm. then I was blown out of the water with how much depth. Like, I know we say this a lot, and particularly I say this a lot, but, like, how much depth and, like, attention to detail in terms of storytelling and character development that mm-hmm. Smile had. Like, I, <laughs> there's a, like, there's so much that surprised me in a great, mm-hmm. like, a completely out of left field way. Um, well, and I will say this movie also did really well about like not hiding its creative genius in like subtext. This one wears it on its chest. Like as soon as you get into this movie, you're starting to understand what ride you're in for, and the movie does not shy away from it. Yeah, at all. Yeah. Um. God, I can't. I'm. I'm. Uh, I had it somewhere. Um, but there was literally a point where I was writing and I'm like, did you think that when you saw the trailer or went in to see smile that you'd end up asking yourself while watching it, could I murder somebody so horribly that I traumatized someone? And if I did like, 
would I be able to do it to offset losing my mind? Because that's the type of shit this movie makes you do. (laughs) Yeah. Like, not since Fear Street have I gone into a movie and come away so surprised with the amount of subtext that was not just like, oh, it might be like this. It's like, no, it straight up was absolutely about it. Like, we were talking before we recorded... It seems to be that the way they made this movie and how it all comes together, that every single person associated with production or whatever knew exactly what this movie set out to do. So everybody Mm -hmm. was on the same page with what they were trying to say. Because, you know, I love movies that say something, especially if they're horror movies. Not that they always Mm -hmm. need to, but when they do it this way, I really appreciate it. Because it's so well, yeah, different than a lot of and movies so want to do. it's so well done right. in this Yeah, case. it's not slapdash. You know, it's like they can talk about mental health and they can talk about trauma. But, like, because those are big, like, cultural touchstones to talk about right now. But mm-hmm. not a lot of people nail it. And I love when people nail it because I feel yeah. like it does a lot of, like, my own job, like, for me. <laughs> or I can just be mm-hmm. like, look, that's how you don't do it. <laughs> Because I'm going to warn everybody right now that I'm going to play psychologists like a lot through this just because that was it's been (laughs) on my brain like this specific topic and this specific type of circumstances are like exactly what I'm spending two different classes this semester learning about. So Mm -hmm. I'm primed to be like, hmm, this person's not really putting their mental health into good effect. They're probably not going to be very competent as a mental health professional. And then this movie was all about that. Yeah. Um, So before we get into the movie itself, I do want to talk a little bit about how it came to be. Um, Because uh, the writer and director of this movie, Parker Finn, who seems like they're still pretty early in their career, in March of 2020, everybody knows that time, Oh, what um, what happened then? Oh, you know, nothing big. Um, they released <laughs> this short film called uh, Laura Hasn't Slept, which was all about a young woman seeking the help of her therapist, desperate to rid herself of a recurring nightmare. Uh, it's an 11-minute long short film. I highly recommend checking it out. It's on YouTube. Very easy to find because Paramount Pictures bought it and mm. now have it on their YouTube channel. And that was released in March. In June of 2020, uh, Paramount Pictures was essentially came up to Parker and was like, we want a full-length version of that short film. We want a full movie. And then within two years, we received Smile, which was originally titled Something's Wrong with Rose and wasn't retitled Smile. That's a bit Smile. of an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> it was finally retitled Smile in May of 2022, so mere months before it was gonna be released like if this was the era of vhs teaser trailers it would have gone the way of halloween 6 and had the wrong title in the first trailer (laughs) which one was that again uh it was something goofy right yeah it was like halloween 666 the origin of michael myers or something oh yeah it was something so go listen back to those halloween episodes (laughs) and and let us know because it was something like totally goofy yeah it was something ridiculous like that yeah uh, so, so the filming happened in October of 2021 in New Jersey, mostly in Hoboken. 
um, and oh, wrapped cool. in November. So it only shot for about a month, maybe a month and a half. Um, and the first person who was cast in the movie was um, Sosie Bacon as the titular at that point, Rose. Yeah. And fun fact, um, in the short film, the character Laura, who it's about, her character and the actress who played her are brought back in the feature-length movie to play a larger role. Oh, so no, that maybe means Maybe not that larger, her... about the same time yeah. frame, because short film, the feature-length. Okay. So, I mean, for people who don't know, Sosie Bacon's in uh, The Mayor of Easttown. She's in 13 Reasons Why. Uh, she's also the daughter of Kevin Bacon, who I'm sure we've covered on the podcast before, and if not, we will someday, because Kevin Bacon's I, uh, in a lot of horror movies, yet. surprisingly. Well, yeah, like, he got his, like, kind of his start with Friday the 13th. Yeah, he's he's one of the people that dies in the original Friday the 13th. Uh, he's mm-hmm. also been in Tremors, like the original Tremors. Tremors. <laughs> we should do uh, Tremors one day when we have absolutely nothing to do for, like, three months. Yes. Um, also, he's been making a recent resurgence in the horror community with um, yeah. You Should Have Left and the Peacock original They Them slasher movie, I've which I heard really mixed things about, and I haven't seen it yet. It looks like it's very good. The trailer for it, at the very least, looks very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I remember being really cool the first time I saw it, like, I didn't, there's something like familiar about Sosie Bacon now, obviously I'm like, oh yeah, she looks a lot like her father. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, Jesse T. Usher plays Trevor, her husband, who's A-Train and the boys, Amazon Prime's yes, the boys. That threw, that throws me off every time I watch I totally this forgot. movie. <laughs> Because the one that I remember the most is uh, Kyle Gallner, who we have covered on the podcast before. Uh, he's Joel. <laughs> he's the police officer that Rose confides in. And ex-boyfriend. Um, yes, and ex-boyfriend. Kyle's been in uh, Jennifer's Body and the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. There's uh. also uh, Cal-, Cal Penn is uh, Dr. Desai, who's in uh, the Harold and Kumar movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who, okay, I know I'm going to get ahead of myself here. But in most horror movies, anybody in the, like, Cal, Pel- Cal Pen role would be someone you're, like, rooting to die in a horror movie. But, like, yeah. he's just such a genuinely good dude throughout this whole movie who's looking out for the best interests of Rose and is actively concerned for her well-being from the get-go. Yeah, you know, because at the, the beginning they kind of po- they kind of prop him up as like the figurehead of the the what I call the real bad guy of mental health. It's not dream. It's not you know trauma demons. It's the uh, callousness of the yeah of the uh, United States medical system. Because not just the insurance, but the hospital itself. Because you know, Ro- as we'll get into it, Rose's job is she's a uh, clinical psychologist for an inpatient. Uh, psychiatric wing of a of a hospital, so she mm-hmm. sees people at their absolute worst daily, um, which says a lot about her. But it also mm-hmm. says a lot about um, the way the hospital handles it, where they're like, "Hey, um, can you just go ahead and like take care of them? Uh, you know, like we can't just be like accommodating all these you know clinically in need people we're a hospital mm-hmm. this is a business and it's like yeah. whoa uh that is not you know so it's like 
Rose kind of represents like the what we would like to have happen with mental health and Dr. Desai, at least at the beginning, kind of represents the, like, okay, well, it's a hospital, it has shareholders, you know, mm-hmm. as much as it likes to, as much as it would like to help people, like, that's not always the case. Um, but yeah, because they humanize him, you kind of see that, like, he does care. He's just trying to do the best with what he can. Well, yeah, like, you can tell that he's frustrated that he can't do more to help. Yeah. And, like, he wishes that he could let Rose do this all of the time. But, like, he's getting his ass reamed by his bosses. Right. It's all... So, like, he's in the stuck hierarchy. middle position. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's just the the poor, unfortunate dude who's, like, in charge of the the trauma floor. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he's gonna deal with it. Um, yeah. So, let's fucking get into this, man. I've been dying to talk about this movie all week. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's dive right in. Because it starts um, so, very strong with a yeah. uh, pan back from what we've come to find to be a flashback of a uh, seemingly dead body in a bedroom surrounded oh, a by very alcohol and pills. Yeah. Um, so and I think easily... it pans past a picture of the family. Yes. That's what I think is so cool about that scene is they show... Like, I was so struck by how immediately they threw you into, like, this is what... They were showing you Rose's trauma. Like, they're showing you what, like, the the moment that trauma, like, takes hold in somebody. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's Rose as a child. This that She's, I think, maybe no older than 10 years old. And she finds her mother overdosed in her bed. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. clear from the environment around her, which we get that really cool slow pan from, from her dead body... It's a slow pan to the alcohol, the prescription medication she's clearly abusing, portraits of the family that she clearly lost along the way, and all of that shit, all of that trauma, all of that weight that was too much for this woman to bear, just gets complete. as we pan over to Rose, gets completely heaped onto her. So now she's got to mm-hmm. deal with that. She's got to deal with the whole destructive life course of her mother which is not her responsibility at all it's not something that she earned whatsoever but because Mm -hmm. she found her she's got to deal with that that's just the shitty thing about trauma it's it's not your fault but like it's your responsibility but you're stuck with it now right it's it's not fair believe me it is not fair um but I think it's cool to note that this movie does have a lot to say about trauma, victimization, and it was clearly written by somebody who's who may have had an aversive experience with therapy. Um, and mm. like the whole impetus for the smile in this movie, it, it's it's kind of representative of like when people who are going through something that's hard for them to put on, uh, you know, put on a happy face and just smile through it. But so mm-hmm. often when they're having a hard time, the expectation of most cultures, especially American culture, is, um, you know, put on a happy face, just smile. It's expected that you just kind of don't be a burden for other people. And yeah, because you have to of smile that, through the pain. Right. And the more that you push it down and the more that you don't address these emotional needs, and, and in this case trauma, it builds until it has no other choice but to explode outwards in mm-hmm. in this case, like the worst suicides you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Jesus. But I think on the trauma note, it's cool that they kinda it goes hand in hand with like having trauma and having you know things that you just haven't really coped with 
it doesn't make somebody crazy. Like mm-hmm. as Rose is going through this, and all of these people that have the the smile like entity, they're all making a point to be like, I'm not crazy. Like I'm a PhD mm-hmm. student, or like, hey, I teach. You know, I'm not crazy. And yeah. not to say that having mental illness makes you crazy, but it, I mean, how I put it, I hope this reads. It's kind of like the opposite of God gives his toughest battles to his silliest gooses. Because no one gives you trauma, like, no one plans for that. Like, there's absolutely mm-hmm. no reason why anybody just has to deal with it. And it's kind of comforting in a way to know that, like, it's not your fault. It doesn't make you broken or anything. Like, it, it just is mm-hmm. a thing that happened to you that you didn't deserve it doesn't mean you're crazy but it does mean you might need to do something a little bit extra to process seeing someone kill themselves with a claw hammer or something awful like that you know (laughs) yeah i do also want to uh give a big uh shout out to writer director parker finn because they are very explicit in how not explicit but they are very um particular in how they write in these characters and how they oh, yeah. speak in the script, because it's you can suddenly see a very big difference between Rose, who does all of the like clinical patient first um, type speaking, versus um, Joel specifically, who's just not just but who's a police officer and so doesn't yeah. necessarily use like the right terms. Like Rose is someone who will say that they died by suicide, whereas Joel will say they committed suicide. Can, which yeah. are two Well that other cop is like sounds like a fucking nutcase and shit. You know? Yeah, the one cop is just an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> You're right, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's so smart and like so telling that Parker knew to write these characters so differently so you immediately get an understanding of how the rest of the world versus people in the specific profession look at these cases. Yeah. Like, I mean, through no fault of our own, it just happens to be that one of us is studying psychology. So it'll come up every now and then on the podcast. And Mm -hmm. as it has before, most of the time uh, when we've covered movies that have therapy, the most recent example I can think of is like Orphan. Uh, this is one of the first movies that we've covered that doesn't, like, bully mental health workers or kind of bash mm-hmm. the profession in general. Um, oh, yeah, like, didn't this come up when we were talking about the Santa Claus? <laughs> well, yes, in a slightly different context, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because you remember how in Orphan it was very much, like, the therapist is, like, aligned against family members, and it's like, well, that's not oh, at all yeah, what we yeah. seek to do. And in this case... The very first time we see Rose doing her job, it's with that gentleman who he's got some kind of mania or he's got at least some kind of very big, uh, he's in the middle of some kind of breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. And he's he's been admitted, and, but she's like, everyone's like, oh shit, you know, he's put him on suicide watch, blah, blah, blah. Like they're, they're starting to treat him like he's dangerous. And she mm-hmm. just goes ahead and treats him like a person, which is at yeah. the core of crisis counseling is just get on their level, get into where they're at. And if that means just sitting next to them, waiting for them to like kind of regard you like she does, that's mm-hmm. the very first step is just physically be in their presence, be a calming presence. Well, yeah, and I do love in. that the first time we see her acting as a um, clinical psychologist is her, instead of sitting across from him, pulling the seat next to him, mm-hmm. and just being a more, like, calming force rather than just another 
unknown entity. Yeah, it it just makes it just literally makes me so like stupidly excited that someone did their homework <laughs> on like how to how <laughs> therapy is like supposed to go. Um mm-hmm. because as we go through this movie there's so many perfect depictions of what it's like going through mental health crises in modern times and it also perfectly kind of posits like what it's like to be someone who's going through trauma themselves like unrepressed like repressed trauma and trying to work in a mental health field despite that because rose has all this pent-up unresolved trauma from her past and so far she's been really great at compartmentalizing it um I would wager that the reason that she works with people that are in such a crisis level state is because it kind of gets her out of her own mind. And instead of dealing with her own trauma, she can deal with other people's, which sounds bad because it is in a big macro Mm -hmm. sense. But it's worked until now, uh, until, as I put it, a jigsaw variant demon says that she's not doing it right. Yeah, well, and I think the first, like, big signs about her using her career as an escape from her own life is even when Cal Penn was like, hey, you've been here for too long today, go home and take the night off, and she cannot be far, she can't be close enough to her phone when it starts to go off when she has actively left the room and she races back in in order to continue to be on call and stay away from her own life. Yeah, I think it, it that was one of the things that I, I came back to when I was wondering just, like, why did Rose pick this path for herself? Like, we learned so much about her and her sister when they were young, how they kind of dealt with what was happening to them, and how that shaped them into the adults that they are now. And I mm-hmm. love when writers do that in such an authentic way that you can draw all of these correlations to who they are as people, how they behave, to their past. And mm. that her going back for that phone, it just felt so much like this is something that she feels like she has to do because it gets her out of her own head. And she's like, if I'm dealing with somebody else's trauma, that's so much easier in a, in a mm-hmm. weird way. It's so much easier to deal with somebody else's like near, like, su- like high-level suicidality level crisis than to mm-hmm. deal with the fact that she found her mom dead. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, let's get into the smile thing. Because <laughs> there's all yeah. this depth already, and then the smile creature shows up. Yeah, keep in mind, we're only like, maybe ten minutes This is like minutes four minutes, yeah, right this now. is like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, when she picks up the phone, the camera pans out of her office and kind of does a far view of someone getting pulled out of an ambulance and, like, writhing on the, um, like, cart. I don't know what it's actually called. You like the gurney? Yeah, that's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way they use those bird's-eye view overhead shots, especially when they start normal and then they end up, like, going upside down. Inverted. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about this. The movie is shot, like, way too good. <laughs> the cinematographer went to, off. I was like, the cinematographer is another person I have to commend, because this seems like it's their first, like, 
big break movie that they worked on. They've done a bunch of like smaller, more independent movies. They apparently shot like a segment on Sesame Street like five years ago. <laughs> but now like they're getting into the feature length film, like full budget things, and I love it. And if they keep doing stuff like this, I am I'm all for it. Oh I god, love yes. the cinematography of this movie. And I I've mentioned before, this movie reminds me in the cinematography a lot of it follows oh yeah it's so uh, again it, it's which is so just unnerving film it's unnerving it filming smile does a great job of capturing the tone like after this scene we're about to talk about even just like the title of the title card of the movie it shows you exactly the tone that they're trying to put in with this movie is that it's there's a lot happening under the surface, and until the veil gets pulled back and, like, the the creature is revealed, everything is this kind of very quiet, slow-moving, normal vibe that gets disrupted mm-hmm. by this creature that has a lot of weird musical intonations, the cameras get inverted, reality literally distorts, and it's like, it shows that, you know, God. I keep doing this, where it's like all the trauma that gets repressed and buried, it kind of just gets worse the more you ignore Mm -hmm. it, the more you try to pretend like everything is normal and everything is fine. Well, yeah, and it suddenly becomes what can you trust when you can't even trust your own mind. God fucking... Which is a horrifying thought. (laughs) Yeah, man, that's... That's Skinnamarink, man. It's the scariest shits in the world. Oh, I gotta to me. watch is, that. If still. you can't, if if you don't know what reality is, if you don't, if you can't trust that you're you're looking at your own two eyes, mm-hmm. it's really scary. Especially when yeah. it's using your brain against you. Mm-hmm. Like it knows how to fuck. Like one of the tenets of the smile creature is that it appears to people that it's linked to as the trauma they've experienced in the past. So it knows exactly how to fuck with them in ways Mm -hmm. that they aren't sure they want to deal with. Because they absolutely could be like, hey, I'm having flashbacks of like my dead mother because it's a really traumatic thing that I didn't deal with. But they're not going to do that. So whether they saw this thing or not, it's just representative of them not talking about their problems. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it knows how to mess with your mind, like Freddy Krueger in the OG Nightmare on Elm Street, where it just knows exactly what's going to freak you out the most, and like, oh, yeah. this thing you knows in your what feels the most. Oh, That's yeah. one of the, th- like, we talked about, uh, the on The Omen, one of the most insidious type villainous qualities of, like, Damien the Antichrist is that even Mm -hmm. after all of the chips are down and Liev Schreiber is about to crucify his son with, like, a bunch of knives. Do you remember that? That was awesome. Yes. (laughs) But when he's about to do that and he's about to do it, the kid looks at him, and it's, like, the devil's final play of, like, you're not really going to kill your own son, are you? And it's, like, Mm -hmm. despite everything that you know, like, despite the fact that you know this smile creature is a real curse-based thing that exists out there, when you explain that to people... They look at you they're like you're nuts, you're nuts because they are because they're not processing what needs to be processed. In, in my mind, mm-hmm. I was like, when I first saw this movie, I'm like, man, is this just trying to get people to go to therapy? Like nobody tries to beat it by like opening up. <laughs> mm-hmm. No one tries. Like it's that prisoner that's like, you should kill somebody. 
then it will stop. I'm like, or uh, open up to your loved ones, uh, talk about <laughs> your trauma. Well, granted, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but every time she does try to open up to somebody about it, it ends up like coming back to hurt her even more. Because, like, I'm I'm really getting ahead of myself here. But, like, when she talks about it to her fiancé, he's like, Jesus Christ, I can't deal with this right now. Right. And then, essentially, not goes behind her back, but gets her old therapist, and they kind of ambush Rose at home. Right. But, I mean, that's a... We'll get to it eventually, too. But we'll that's get at the to point that. where Rose, like, doubles down on, like being shitty which is like yes. the, the full court press defense for i don't want to open up about my problems everybody else has the problem i'm fine i don't know what you guys are talking about and they're like rose you're clearly insane like you're clearly losing your mind yeah um no so all of this starts for rose uh when she picks up that phone on the way out of work and she gets a uh, a crisis call for this young woman who is a art PhD student? She, mm-hmm. you know, she she's in graduate school. Uh, has no prior history of mental health problems, um, and is visibly terrified, like the most terrified you could possibly see another person. Mm-hmm. And you know, Rose comes in already looking to decompress the situation. She's trying to get her to talk about what she's seeing, and. You know, this this woman is, is very much trying to convey that she's not crazy, that she's mm-hmm. seeing something that is real that nobody else can see, that it looks like someone that she knows, and it's got this horrible smile on its face that, you know, really does start to sit with you. Like, that smile really does slowly worm its way into your head. Because like I normally can smiling, still see it in my head. Right. Like normally, now. like smiling is like such a meh way to be scary, but this time it it works. Like they mm-hmm. really know how to make it really unsettling. Well, and I like that in this kind of unlike how it looks in Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. It's only like a <laughs> slight exaggeration rather than like a full CGI smile, so that it just looks different enough that it unnerves you, but it still feels like it could be something that a real human face could do. Right. But because it's, it's not... just uncanny valley enough that it like <laughs> messes with your brain. Because it's not too wide to be like cartoonish. It's mm-hmm. wide enough that it's very noticeable and the key thing is the look in the eyes because the smile itself does not convey the scare it's the eyes that are full of just sick malice mm-hmm. like yeah you, you only really see it when it's stalking you or when it's on the face of somebody that it has fully taken over because as to rose's abject horror the, her client all of a sudden starts freaking out and like retreating yeah, I I love that the first instant instance we see of this monster is from somebody's outside perspective when you have no idea what's going on. So yeah. you think they're just like, for lack of a better phrase, you think they are crazy and they're like having a some kind of visual thing happen to them. And then when you start to hear Laura choking while she's on the phone. And you're just like, what the fuck's going on? And all of a sudden, it just goes silent. 
So Rose turns around. And just Laura and... isn't where she was. Anymore. No. She's seemingly disappeared. But she turns and finds Laura there with a piece of a vase that she had knocked over while she was trying to uh, retreat, like a like a terracotta vase. And she's mm-hmm. staring at Rose with, the, again, the, the, the worst, most maleficent smile you could possibly think of. And then she cuts her throat from, like, ear to ear. In front yeah, of Rose. Yeah, she starts at, like, her jawbone and goes across. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it straight up opens the whole fucking thing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is such a weird way. <laughs> I just described it. <laughs> <laughs> really pop that sucker open. <laughs> um, there's a lot of suicide in this movie, so if that makes you uncomfortable, uh, don't watch it. Um, yeah. we, have to, we have to make light of it somehow because it's fucking awful. Uh, <laughs> but it, it it it's enough that uh, it sticks with Rose because it would stick with pretty much anybody. Yeah. Um, and then you know Rose is interviewed by the police, which is how we meet Joel. Uh, those police officers do a pretty piss poor job of making her uh, feel like comforted in any way. Uh, they mm-hmm. they blatantly disrespect her patients. Uh, and then Rose is kind of just left to deal with it. She goes home yeah. and, and just has to pro like again, you just gotta go home after that. Like you just go home mm-hmm. and try to live the rest of your life after you just saw that. Like what do you do? Yeah. You know, it's hard for anyone really to think about like, well, what do I do next? Like how do I not just think about that all the time? Mm-hmm. Also, okay, this is a hot take for me. After that scene we get the grossest scene in the movie that, like, made me uncomfortable when I saw it in theaters, and y'all may think I'm crazy for it, because it's really not that bad. <laughs> but when <laughs> when Rose opens that goddamn cat food, and it's, like, zoomed into hell, that cat food grossed me the fuck out. It Listeners, looks DM Danny Hollander close-up <laughs> pictures of cat food. It will Don't scare him, dare. clearly. listen it was gross on the big screen it affected me less when it was when i was watching it at home when i saw that on the big screen i was so grossed out did it make you feel better uncomfortable shot did it make you feel better knowing that that cat dies no (laughs) because i'm sure that getting ahead of ourselves but i'm sure that cat did not die a like painless death no, I would imagine it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the smile creature is like a give you an overdose Merciful. of benzodiazepine no. kind of creature. I think it's like, I'm going to sit on you and take pleasure in you writhing in, you know, adrenaline-fueled uh, survival instinct. Like, it's that kind mm. of bastard. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's brutal. Yeah, we, again, up top, like, yeah, suicide warning, trauma warning, uh, dead cat warning. Because um, we all know we're how not you talking, feel about we're dead not talking, and horror movies. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking, like, uh, Michael Myers killing a dog, kind of, like, mm-hmm. oh, it sucks the dog died. We're talking, like, it's, you're never gonna, if you own a cat, uh, you're not gonna like this scene, because yeah. it's... Uh, <laughs> and granted, <laughs> we don't see... We don't see anything about the cat in 
Rose's perspective, which is how we see this movie, the That's cat why kind it's of so disappears at one point, which is so much worse. Like, that's uh, why it's so much worse, because she's having the emotional breakdown of it happening to her, and everybody else mm-hmm. is just like, wow, that's really fucked up. And then they get further traumatized by her having that breakdown. Yeah. We will get to that. But, but first, that's us getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I do want to talk about Joel for a second. Because uh, mm-hmm. he's quite awesome. So Joel, as it's as we we see as 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 the more of yeah we see more as the movie goes on that Joel and Rose have a history. They used to date. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to tell that Joel was not the one that broke up with her. Uh, evident yes. in when he, after, the next day after she uh, comes back to work, uh, he decides he's going to drop in and check up on her. Because that's what you do when somebody sees something awful. You go, hey, um, how's hey, it going? Okay? You know, like checking in with them. Uh, <laughs> and I respect the hustle of the nurse who's working there. He's like, hey, <laughs> she's engaged, but I'm single. And I'm like, nice. <laughs> yeah, I did love that nurse. <laughs> like, that's her moment to shine. And she oh, yeah. took it. <laughs> it was really cool. <laughs> um, but... For him, I feel like he's a really good, uh, like, straight man in the situation of, like, he's not completely turned off to the the cares of someone's mental health, but he's also mm-hmm. not so far gone in dealing with his own shit that it kind of muddies how he can do it with other people. Yeah. Um, like, he's a, he's a really good stabilizing force because he's... Willing to re- listen to reason, that he has no reason to want to shut her out when she's talking about this, some of this crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, even to jump ahead, when they're putting the pattern together of the suicides, uh, Rose is just like, "Let me see, let me see," and he's like, "No, nah, this is this shit's fucking bad," and it shows mm-hmm. how trauma can numb you to things like that. Um, kind of yeah. like how it numbs Rose to the petty affairs of her stupid older sister and her life when she's out to dinner with uh, them with her husband. <laughs> yeah, that their that sibling relationship between those sisters is obviously so frayed and is holding on by like a single stitch. I I wonder uh why why Danny that might. B, do you think they've got something mutually upsetting in their past that they dealt with in completely different ways? I mean, maybe. It's it's a it's a very real possibility there, Matt. It, there is um, a good possibility. <laughs> but I won't get ahead of myself because I'm not a psycho a psychological psychological <laughs> professional. Jesus, I, I am, can't speak. I don't have Listen, I I don't have any sort of licensure. I don't have a, an official master's degree yet. Um, but I all of this classwork has to account for something. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that, especially if you're somebody that's had more adverse experiences with the world of mental health, or just at least how the world perceives mental health, I'm glad we live in an age that things are getting better. But of course, that doesn't mean that everything is great. Um, yes. Like like that whole scene with her and her sister at dinner. I just wrote down, man, nobody in this movie gives a shit about mental health. No. Yeah. 
You know, because like yeah. Rose saw someone kill themselves, and uh, her sister's talking about her son's birthday party, and Rose mm-hmm. is like dissociated from the conversation, which is a very common thing that I know a lot of people can relate to if they've just got other stuff going on. That it's sometimes mm-hmm. hard for them to work up the mental effort to be engaged in a conversation because they're so mentally exhausted all the time. Yeah, it like it really does show how unresolved trauma and not just unresolved trauma but just unresolved you know issues impact how you interact with other people and mm-hmm. if it, it, you know depending on how that person is perceiving your bullshit you know everybody's all wonky and it's just like if we ah oh, man i'm not gonna play well, psychologist and- a lot on this episode <laughs> i'm trying so hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> well and one point of contention that gets brought up in this dinner is the fact that they still own the house that their mom died in. Yeah, that's a very uh, which important Which is obviously a very it. traumatic place for both of them, because they both have traumas associated with that place. But Rose refuses to let it go, whereas her sister is trying to get rid of it and finally move on from everything that happened in their childhood. Right. Which is two very different perspectives on a very similar... Um, problematic past i guess is how i'll put it and i i do want to note neither one of them are wrong like nowhere in any sort of uh in universe where someone is responding based on their trauma doesn't ever mean that they are wrong they Mm -hmm. believe based on their experiences that this is the safest most uh defense way that they can go through life and accommodate to what happened to them. And because yeah. Rose has all of these adverse experiences tied up in the house, I'm going to postulate, in a way, it feels like she now has control over it. She Kind mm. of like, um, I just rewatched Haunting of Hill House with my mother, which was an amazing <gasps> time. Uh, she had never seen it before. But mm-hmm. uh, what um, Timothy Hutton, the older dad, does with Hill House is he deliberately does not sell it so that nobody can live in it and then it's mm-hmm. deprived of being able to fuck with anybody else anymore. So yeah. there's power in a way of owning something and letting it rot, but all that is is baggage. Because mm. Rose's sister clearly is like, yeah, let's move on from this because it was shit. I wanted to get away from the house, so I want to do as much as I can to distance myself from the past and live my own life. That's a very yeah. good way of thinking about it. But if you're such if you're in such a hurry to get away from that house and secure yourself as someone who's more maybe more abrasive or more neurotic or more like controlling, like she is seen mm-hmm. to like she bosses her husband around like a lot. <laughs> and yeah. it just is very reflective on like that makes a lot of sense that that's what you resort to to make yourself feel better. Is like if you mm-hmm. control your environment, no one can hurt you in it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And then the next day, Rose is back at work, and this is when she starts to get the heebie-jeebies about this whole (laughs) smile thing, because she's just walking the halls like she does, and she stops by her patient's room because he's sitting there with the smile that she's just like, oh, well, that's weird. And earlier in his first session we saw, 
he was talking about multiple people because his like tick with his mania is um so and so is going to die he's gonna die she's gonna die we're gonna die yeah. i'm gonna die and then it's suddenly very, like, this time attack mind for him this time it's it suddenly goes to you're gonna die and then it stays on you're gonna die while yeah. he walks towards her and the smile continues to build to the point where rose calls for assistance and to um sedate him and then when she looks back and she snaps out of the almost delusion that the curse gave her he's asleep in his bed he's yeah. just lying there he's done nothing to her and then it's of course super stressful to him for him to wake up and all of these orderlies are forcing him down and mm-hmm. trying to sedate him and oh my god that must be so devastating Like, you're a mental health worker, and it's your responsibility to make sure that you don't actively make your clients worse. And, Mm -hmm. like, that's her first real big realization that she's, like, kind of losing it. And it's, like, this thing, in, in such a sick way, it preys on her unresolved trauma to be, like, this is not your escape anymore. You can't use Mm -hmm. work to, you know put distance between you and confronting what needs to be confronted anymore. Cause then mm-hmm. she's put on temporary leave for her own mental health. Because again, they're like, if you're a trauma therapist, we need you to be good. So like, if you're not all right, like take a week, it's no pre- no big deal. Um, mm-hmm. But that's when things get way worse. Yeah. So she gets home and she's by herself and uh, she turned the alarm on in the house because she's home alone and she's freaked out, understandably so. Um, yeah. And then the alarm starts going off because a door seems to have been opened. So she gets a call from the alarm company. And while she's having this discussion with the person, oh my God, suddenly the question it. gets asked, are oh you alone God. in the house? She replies, yes. And then they say back, are, are you, you sure? sure? And I'm just like, because uh, uh. I forgot that that was when she like lost her mind. Because this thing does have those very cool, like, you don't know where it starts to be an illusion or not. So like it, yeah. this thing, because it uses your brain against you, it can make you do all sorts of things that mm-hmm. are, you are not doing actually. Or it can also hijack your brain, as we'll learn later, it can hijack your mind to make you do things that you didn't know that you did. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And in this case, because it's it's kind of just like Freddy Krueger, you brought it up earlier, it's a lot like Freddy Krueger, and it doesn't come out right away. Like, you Mm -hmm. don't see it It until later. Like, it shows up in the form of her clients, but it also, in this, over the phone... She doesn't actually see it at all because after mm-hmm. it asks, "Are you sure?" and she's like, "Wait a minute, holy shit!" It's like turn around, and I'm like, first of all, don't." <laughs> yeah. And then when she does, there's nothing there. Like it, it's mm-hmm. it's taunting her so that, like, and this is where the jump scares come in, where it's like it knows that you're expecting a jump scare, so it doesn't do that until well, yeah, what you're it not does expecting it. Is it gives you. 
what you expect to be a jump scare, it doesn't give you the payoff, and then it gives you a secondary jump scare where the phone starts ringing, and mm-hmm. suddenly it's the actual call right. from the like, <laughs> alarm company. And then poor A-Train comes home <laughs> to a bunch of cops. <laughs> I don't remember yeah, his he actual comes name. home, Trevor. <laughs> Yeah, Trevor comes he home, comes home like, and he's like, as hey, the cops um, are leaving. What's going on here? And what does she do? Tells him it's nothing. Yep. <sighs> Bad plan. And communication. communication. Communication is communication, key. Communication. Especially because right after that, um, she decides that she's going to go and see her old therapist. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a great idea. Uh, going to therapy is great. Uh, it's, it's great. Even if you don't have any like pressing concerns, if you're just kind of in general, like you need some validation or like extra coping skills, it's great for that. So I'm glad that she goes back to it. Um, and I love her therapy scenes so much because not only does it, it confirm that she still blames herself for her mother's death, which Mm -hmm. is all sorts of telling about her, the type of person that she is, but She's trying to out-professional herself. She's mm-hmm. trying to be like, I'm just kind of here to like, be like, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I saw this client, you know, kill themselves in front of me. It was a big deal. But, you know, I'm fine. Like, I'm totally cool. She's throwing out all of these terms, like, like jargony terms. She's like self-diagnosing. Mm-hmm. She's like oh, attributing all of her stuff to like um, very uh, short-term pr- post-traumatic stress. She's trying to relate her problems to something that's purely in the very, uh, like, close past. She's like, it has nothing to do with my past. It has absolutely nothing to do with my unresolved trauma. And her psychologist is like, listen, it's okay if if it is. Like, we can talk Mm -hmm. about that. So it's the first time that Rose is showing her resistance. And it's not really the fault of the smile creature itself. It just put her in that position to become defensive about something yes. that she was already defensive about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can we talk well, about I the do curse? Like the, well, oh, no, before sorry, we do, yeah. I do like that the therapist is like, yeah, I know you're also a therapist, but like before you just self diagnose and self medicate yourself, can we like actually have a conversation so I can make sure that you're like, exactly. not, like full of shit. Cause she goes in there and is like, "Hey, could I get a prescription for a sedative?" And she's like, "Whoa!" Uh, and she's like, "Uh, don't we talk no, first? not don't like we that." Like, yeah, right. It's like if you're so fine, why do you need drugs? Mm-hmm. Rose, come on, you can't out psychologist the psychologist. It's impossible. Exactly. All right, let's talk about this, Kurt. Okay, so the smile creature, the the smile demon, whatever you want to call it, because um, it is it is it's uh, a semi intelligent entity. Uh, it's not a metaphor. For a lot of the movie, it's it could go either way. I mm-hmm. was really excited that it was wholly a metaphor. It ends up not being. And I think that's where this movie loses a lot of people, is that it is like a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still fine if it's a monster. And we'll get to it later as it starts to actually like physically start being a presence. Yeah. But the way that this thing works is it's kind of like a curse, like the ring. Um, and it's like the Samara. So the curse itself is just kind of tangentially related to this thing. And mm. so 
this thing will start latching on to somebody who has seen something absolutely terrifying and traumatic or has experienced some kind of irrevocable trauma in their life that they haven't like dealt with and then it makes it once it attaches itself to them it makes them more and more unsure of their reality it gets them more and more at the mercy of their own demons that they're not confronting until it inevitably consumes them literally by taking over their body um because nobody believes them like even if they're like there's a monster trying to attack me like no one's gonna believe them they're gonna be like are you sure you don't want to just talk about your trauma um and then of course when everyone's at their most vulnerable uh it hijacks their body and gets them to aggressively commit suicide in front of somebody to pass it along perpetuating Mm -hmm. this cycle and it almost always finds somebody that has unresolved trauma themselves which makes them an yeah. easier target and more unlike that they're going to like break the cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really smart about how it chooses who continues the curse, which I think is fucked up. Because like it know it not only yeah, does it, it know about the person it's already cursed, it knows about the people around the cursed person well enough to know which one, which person is the most likely for the curse to continue with. I think it does something where it, once it jumps into that person's brain and it starts, like, tearing shit up, mm-hmm. uh, just like real trauma, it's a slow burn. So it affects you in the short term first, and then the longer that you ignore it, the more it impacts your life in a more profound way. And it's like, as it's sitting in your brain watching you suck at... Uh, talking about your feelings, it knows Mm -hmm. the way you interact with other people. So it's like, oh, yeah, this person will be the juiciest to, like, destroy the trust that this person has with them. Like, the student that Rose gets it from probably had a great relationship with that professor that he... Not only did he traumatize her because she saw him kill himself with a hammer, but she saw Mm -hmm. someone that she trusted and knew kill themselves in that manner. Yeah. So it stuck with her in a more profound way. So, like, this thing knows the the more fucked up a thing is, the more likely it is to stick and be traumatic because it's something mm-hmm. that does a lot of damage on the way out. Yeah. And before we get into the birthday party, if I can play oh, psychologist for just two more seconds, I, I'm sorry. Um, her no, sister has this all is, of these... Matt, this is the episode to do this on. <laughs> I know. I was I was in supervision earlier this week and it took everything in me to not like plug this episode because I'm like if I don't stick it completely they're going to be like oh he almost got it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so her sister we already kind of touched on it has flavors of her own compartmentalization. She's a lot more abrasive, she's a lot more controlling uh which makes sense with where they came from. So her response to Rose having any sort of mental health thing, uh, whether it's just, like, having a bad day or, like, her being, you know, affected by the smile curse, mm-hmm. it kind of shows that because she's had such a negative traumatic experience seeing someone's life go off the rails because they haven't, like, dealt with their problems. Like, people that go into drug addiction don't just do it for fun. Usually Mm -hmm. there's, like, some kind of comorbid condition that makes them feel like they would rather be high or drunk or both and away from their problems. 
uh, I would wager maybe divorce because they don't seem to have a father uh, around. And the picture that we see in uh, their mom's bedroom had the whole family with like a father also. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just me spitballing. But as Rose gets worse, and especially after this birthday party, I think it's so telling how I can't remember her sister's name. Grace, I think, right? For some reason, I, I want to say think Grace. So I don't. I can't remember. Hold but on. Rose's sister. You continue. Has, I'll I'll try to figure yeah. it out. <laughs> She's got such a different response to her sister seeming to lose her mind that she doesn't want to engage with her because she knows that those people in her mind in the past have been so self-destructive to her that she would rather avoid them because she can't control irrationality. She can control her mm-hmm. rational life. She can control her PTA, you know, mom's throwing soccer mom birthday parties. Like, she can do all of that stuff because that's easy. That's predictable. That's very controllable. Unresolved trauma is hard to cope with. You know, having mm-hmm. a parent kill themselves or just die from, you know, neglect of their own facilities, mm-hmm. that's hard enough to deal with so if her sister seems to be going down that route you know it's only a matter of time until she goes i can't deal with you either so okay we can talk about the birthday party okay so this birthday party scene is uh beyond upsetting because we have the uh, we have this kid who's having a great birthday party. He's a great uh, kid, okay? <laughs> he's yeah, he's, he's living his best life. Or he's at least trying to. And then while he's doing all this, uh, he's going to open his presents. Which, you know, is normally like a great part of a young kid's birthday party. Because they get yeah, to see Something the that cool they remember they for a long time. Yeah, and like, she was... Rose was told that like this kid loved... Um, trains. So, like, the box says model train, because she, like, got him a model train thing. Yeah. Um, But lo and behold, when he opens the box, it's not a model train anymore. Um, It's a very, very dead cat. Um, yeah. Which is it very was, it's upsetting. It's her cat, too. It's, it's yeah, Rose's it is her cat own that's been cat. missing for days. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, not great. Uh, and so she starts freaking out because she's like, oh, that's where my cat went because she doesn't know that it's dead, let alone that no. it's in the box. <laughs> and then when she's freaking out at the party and everybody else is like trying to get away from her, um, then suddenly the smile creature is or the smile curse is looking at her through the gaze of one of the party guests and rose falls through a fucking glass table yeah it's one thing to be that kid and unwrap a dead cat like that's one thing um to have it be from your aunt is another one uh and Mm. then for that aunt to clearly not know that her cat that she clearly has a lot of uh emotional tie to uh is dead she's gonna have an emotional response in front of everybody that's probably not gonna be at the appropriate level uh to not scar a child 
Um, mm-hmm. This is the second time, speaking of the Omen, that we've talked about a birthday party that's just resulted in literally impossible amounts of therapy that need to happen. Because, um, she, like you said, and then she starts yelling at this thing that nobody can see, uh, saying to get away from her. Uh, she looks like a complete um, b- basket case. Uh, she's yelling at things that are not there. She's crying very aggressively. She's clutching the body of her dead cat to her, which mm-hmm. it's, the whole thing is just a lot to process for anybody. And we're just watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but A-Train brings up a really good, decent point at the hospital, because they obviously take her to the hospital because she fell through a glass table, cut up her arms. Um, mm-hmm. Dr. Desai is like, hey, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm absolutely and fine. He's, and he knows that's a lie. Like, he, uh, of course. he is no fool. But you can't push these sort of things. Like, everybody mm-hmm. clearly knows that she's not okay, but it's like this... They, just, it's all, they have this sense of propriety that they just don't want to, like fuck with other people's things and that's kind of what Atrian's deal is is like she's trying to tell him that there's this curse attached to her and she's doing it in like the worst way possible and he mm-hmm. straight up tells her like I can't deal with this for my own mental health which which um, is fair is, which is a is very fair. fair point but then he immediately shoots himself in the foot by being like ah your mom killed herself and I looked it up on Google and they said it was genetic and I'm like this motherfucker didn't do the adequate research to know what that meant. Yeah. So he 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 abandons her emotionally. Like he he's not willing to engage with her on this anymore, which is a shame mm-hmm. because he was the one that made it all okay. Yeah. So she's kind of left to her own devices to be like, okay, well, no one believes me. Now I've got to fucking deal with this. I got to figure out how to beat it. You know, so mm-hmm. that's how it starts uh, her quest down, like, who did I get it from before, uh, and where did they get it from? So she looks up this art teacher that who killed himself with a claw hammer um, in front of his student, who's the student that she saw. So because he's an art teacher, we have the very helpful medium of really creepy smile artwork uh, that mm-hmm. he created when he, because he was trying to make sense of the things that he was seeing. And his wife uh, kind of goes through it all with Rose. And, you know, he had the very same progression. He saw a woman kill herself at a conference. Afterwards, he started to, like, lose time. He would Mm -hmm. act like like he would start talking to people that weren't there. He said that he started to see his brother, who had died very young in a car accident. And he had, like, she made a point to say that he never got over it. Uh, mm-hmm. and it ultimately resulted in him taking his own life yes. and his wife all again has to deal with that that she has yeah. to go from you know someone that you know and love being normal one day and then all of a sudden not only are falling they apart. going down this yeah they're falling apart before your very eyes and then they kill themselves in a gruesome manner yeah, uh, and you're left to just deal with that, mm-hmm. you know, like whether or not the thing controls a person to kill themselves in front of you. That doesn't mean that your suicide and your actions and and you not again. I keep falling back on this. You not resolving your trauma affects other people. It impacts other people's lives without you even knowing it because you're just if if you let it consume you. 
Not mm-hmm. this is a completely different. Obviously, the trauma demons do not really exist. Um, yeah, <laughs> but just in a real context, it's like <laughs> it, it. That's what I mean. This movie like goes hand in hand with like talking about like real trauma and the cycle of victimization, and then it's also like. We can't get too real, so we're going to make it a, a demon. Like, because it would mm-hmm. be too real if we were just like, yeah, man, um, trauma will kill you. Because it won't. Like, not all trauma, like, leads down this road. This yeah. was, It's a horror movie. It's got to be scary. It's got to have stakes. Um, mm-hmm. But it does bring up that good point that it, it affects people. And people are left behind after this without any explanation. Like, that woman's going to go through her whole life not knowing the truth. And yeah. it, it's almost like, is it worse knowing the truth? Like, I don't, I don't know. That's a whole other d- discussion. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but so this movie just she's starting to see me, this man. pattern. <laughs> since she's starting to see this pattern, she goes to Joel because she's like, okay, he obviously still cares about me because he came to check on me but also he's gonna have the information i actively need like access to in order to continue my like research yeah which he's gonna give her the crime scene photos yeah (laughs) yeah um and so she goes over to his apartment and they start to find the continuation of this lineage of uh, horrible people dying by suicide leading to the next person a few days later dying by suicide um and she doesn't like react to any of the like horrible bullshit no, they see because he's there like you don't want to see this this is really gross and he's <laughs> having a visual uh, like a you know uh a clear response to seeing these deaths and she is just unfazed yeah you know she's she's so numb to it, and mm-hmm. you know it it sucks because that's just more and more of herself seems to be going away, and like all of her anxiety that she has, like all the fear that she has, like she's aggressively biting her nails, she's always looking over her shoulder, she looks a wreck. Yeah, and they all seem like symptoms of like nervous breakdowns or anxiety or all these things. When in reality, they're just an actual depiction of someone in, like, mortal terror. Like, mm-hmm. she is not imagining this. Like, this is what somebody, like... Yeah, this, this is, is how very the kids, real to her. Yeah, like, this is how the kids in Fear Street should have been. You know what I mean? Like, where it's... Yeah. You're just in constant fear that you're about to be, like, fucked with. Mm-hmm. Or, or killed. Um, I lied about playing... Uh, about stopping playing psychologist, but, like, literally from my notes this this week, from my, from my ethics class, uh, mm-hmm. it says that vicarious traumatization and secondary trauma, which is, like, what Rose experienced from seeing this client uh, talk about the trauma she experienced and then killing herself, um, it, it, it posits that not just mental health workers, but, like, police officers, firefighters, EMTs, nurses, anybody that sees trauma, like, all the time can get numb mm-hmm. to it. Um, it's similar to PTSD where you can start to have intrusive thoughts and images specifically related to your trauma, like, you know, seeing the past. Uh, you have avoidant mm-hmm. responses. You don't want to talk about your feelings like Rose all of the time. Uh, physiological arousal, that's like hyperventilating. You're, uh, you, you look scared because, you know, your body is telling you that you're in terror. Um, distressing emotions, and sometimes addictive or compulsive behaviors that may adversely affect your competence. So you can start doing drugs or uh, 
aggressively researching uh, uh, long strings of suicides to offset the shit that you're worried about. Mm-hmm. And it can it can change your identity. It can change your worldview. It can impact your interpersonal relationships. Because Rose is somebody that cares about other people. And right around this time, she starts to double down on, like, she's not good to be around. Like, I start to not like her around this time because she's just burning all these bridges. Yeah. And for therapists that have... This was my the reason I posted any of it in the first place. Uh, therapists that have unresolved uh, pre-existing trauma problems, um, it, it can cause them to shift fr- their empathetic responses. Uh, they put a lot more personal strain on their clients' problems. They can withdraw, and they can engage in over-identification, so they'll feel more of their uh, their own trauma symptoms than worrying about their, their client, which is why, at this point, she starts to see more and more visions of her mother. Like, mm-hmm. Rose is going down this road uh, being corrupted by this this fake thing, but the fake thing is using real, like, symptoms of secondary trauma to, like, hide behind, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I, I think this movie just scratched a big itch for me that I'm like, damn, they fucking did their homework! Yeah, well, yeah, that's the biggest thing with this movie is that there are a lot of movies that either subtextually or like overtly cover uh, mental health and specifically the mental health of someone in the mental health profession. But this is the one, and I may get some flack for this because I could be wrong, but in at least what I have seen, this is the one that I think does it best. Oh, I'm with you there. So it's so well done, and it's definitely researched to the point where you know that the writer director of this movie knows what the fuck they're talking about. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's, I, I I really could not tell you another one because every single time that I see therapy depicted, especially in horror movies, it's not. It's again, it's a movie. It doesn't have to be accurate. Uh, it's mm-hmm. always in service of the plot. That's totally fine. I'm not one of those people that's like, that's not how it works. But it's just like when it's so clearly not how it works, I'm like, damn, that take away their license or something. But yeah. <laughs> because they so <laughs> they care about this, like this is their point. Like this was the message that every single person involved in production was down with. Like this mm-hmm. was the whole point of the movie from the get go. And I just appreciate the fuck out of that so much. Um, and a c- complete non sequitur uh, that we're talking about her going to Joel's apartment. So mm-hmm. um, there's a big poster <laughs> in his apartment. Um, and it's for this Italian skiing movie uh, that uh, got remade with uh, Robert Redford um, called Downhill. And um, I looked it up. Apparently it was deliberate, and it's supposed—it's an in-joke between the producer and the cinematographer, because uh, it's supposed to refer to Rose's mental state that it's going down. I love that. I so, love subtle things like that. So they're taking it really seriously, but also like it's kind of funny. <laughs> but they're having fun along the way. Because like <laughs> exactly, you, I can imagine when you you're on to. set for you something like this, to. you have to. <laughs> Dude, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they, they've been doing this more and more uh, lately, and I'm glad that they do it, with movies or TV shows that have a more 
uh, intense sort of subject matter. They've got psychologists that they'll bring in to kind of just talk to the cast and the producers and be like, hey, you know, is this triggering anything for you? Because everyone's got some type of stuff in their past. Some of it's more traumatic uh, than others. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, it's easier to just fucking bury it you, you feel like you've you've overcome it and even if you have even if you've gone through therapy for something that's very traumatic this movie could still pull up a lot of things because of how serious they take it so yeah i think i would be surprised if they had somebody on on set to talk with everybody about this sort of thing and they probably like the saw movies encourage like goof-offs on set just to, to, mm-hmm. to keep it light <laughs> yeah um well yeah yeah. Uh, so, like so, I was saying, this is where the movie starts to turn for me for Rose. Um, she starts to go down this very destructive path, um, and it, it really just bothers me uh, because I I feel like maybe just instinctively or, or anyone that's in a better mental state watching would be like, why would you shut people out that way? Like, why would you do this? And there's it's not more evident than when she goes to try to... Well, her sister thinks that she's going to apologize, but she goes to talk to her sister to be like, listen, I'm not crazy. I've got proof that what's happening to me is a curse and that it's happened mm-hmm. to other people. But in her mind, that makes sense to be like, look, look at these horrible pictures of suicide and like agree with me. But mm-hmm. her sister, who, again, like I had said before, probably was not about to forgive her for this. She yeah. takes she takes a moment to, to try to genuinely reconnect with Rose because this is the first time she's taking it seriously, you mm-hmm. know. But Rose is too determined to prove that she's cursed that that she, she can't, can't reconnect with her no. sister. And it sucks because when when the chips are finally down and she's like, they get to their their real problem where they're like, I'm Rose is like, I'm upset that you left. You mm-hmm. left me in that house alone with mom through the worst of it, which is the reason I had to find her. So she's blaming her now for this. She's blaming yeah. her trauma on somebody else. And that's when her sister has her own breakdown where she's like, I had to leave the house. You know, I was older than you, so I, I saw mom go from from bad to worse more than you ever yeah. did. And which is heartbreaking. She, yeah, and of course she, she carried the guilt of leaving Rose to find their mom. She didn't intend for that. Of course not. Mm-hmm. But she's had to do a lot of growth, and some of that has, ha- has involved setting boundaries to protect herself and to protect her family. And the way yeah. Rose is right now, she's a liability. She, she's not willing to see reason or to apologize or to meet on mutual grounds. So mm-hmm. she's like, you can't be around my family. Straight up, you can't. Yeah. And uh, that scene yeah, ends is... with the perfect jump scare from the, the from the trailer. Because uh, we just went through like a whole big like emotional scene. And then I'm like, oh, good. Maybe she'll be like, hey, you know, I believe you. But no, it's that fucking horrible yeah. jump scare from yeah, the trailer. Yeah, if you haven't seen the trailer for this movie and you want to watch the movie, don't watch the trailer. Don't watch the trailer. Just go straight into the movie. Don't <laughs> yeah. do it. Because I feel like, the, like we said at the top, like the trailer kind of sets you up to think this movie's going to be bad, and mm-hmm. we would rather you think that in the last ten minutes than at any other point in the movie. Yeah. Uh, also, eating in your car is not a sign you don't have your shit together. Okay. That, I took that personally. <laughs> 
yes, but, and hear me out here, what? it's not that she's eating in her car, it's that she is doing the car equivalent to, like, eating something, like, right over her sink. Like, it's not that the, the fact that she is eating in her car, it's how she's <laughs> eating in her car for me. Okay, <laughs> to be fair, I don't think I've seen her eat a single thing since her client killed herself. Mm-hmm. So I could forgive her to just be like, holy shit, I've been so traumatized lately that I haven't eaten anything. Yeah. So, again, I, just, I took that personally. <laughs> but that is when Joel comes in and is like, uh, I think you're on to something. I think mm-hmm. there is a pattern to these suicides. Because he was like, I did, because he's a cop, he had to do more digging. He's like, you know what? There actually is a pretty long string of associated suicides. But and, there's one outlier. But there's one that bro- that was one outlier. But because Joel is such, like, the perfect straight man, mm-hmm. he's, like, the great litmus test against uh, every one of Rose's decisions. Like, when he calls her and he's like, okay, let's let's put aside the fact that uh, that curses even exist. Like, l- let's, let's plan this out. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, okay, we can't get hung up on what it is because um, I can't believe it's real, but the fact of the matter is that it is. And, like, he's got that bit where she's like, yeah, it, you know, it passes with trauma, X, Y, Z, and then it ends up having you kill yourself in front of other people. And on the phone, Joel's just like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Like, he's like, this is mm-hmm. so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just feel well, like so when bad. He's, <laughs> when they're driving to the prison, when he just, like has to, like, try to talk under his breath, being like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, like, oh my <laughs> god, this <laughs> is so fucked. Thing. <laughs> yeah, but when they meet this prisoner, that is when we get kind of a Final Destination-y type twist in the lore of this curse. So the man mm-hmm. that was in prison, because the way this smile creature works is it does it kind of in chains, so there'll be like a chain in one country for a little while that will run its course and then just kind of stop at some point, probably because someone will die and and not do it in front of somebody, and then one mm-hmm. can start up in another country or in another state or in another city or whatever. And the latest one that he found ended with a man who uh, went to prison. No, for this murder. one didn't end. This continued. Oh, it didn't end. Because he had, because the thing is, it has to happen in front of someone. To oh traumatize. right, because then it found because that's why he's in prison. Facts. Yes, because because there had to be the witness who essentially yeah. got him uh, tried for murder, which was yeah. fair. But it, it, that's it how he that had train. to. It yeah, it broke the chain of suicides, but it didn't break the chain yeah. of death. Yeah, and it it brings up this interesting edition where uh because it needs trauma to pass Mm -hmm. suicide isn't the only way to traumatize somebody uh and the way this worked is that this guy killed somebody uh in front of another person and he did it specifically traumatic in a brutal way right so that they'd be like wow i watched a man like remember the basement when he made that guy eat his own teeth Uh, yes Sorry to bring that up out of nowhere, <laughs> but like it's stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, was not ready for that, Matt. <laughs> I'm so I'm so sorry to drop it in your lap, <laughs> but, but it's like that where you almost have to use your imagination to make sure mm-hmm. that somebody is gonna walk away from that experience a changed person. 
And mm-hmm. she, Rose herself is like, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to kill somebody. But it does raise the question, could I murder somebody so bad that I traumatize someone? And would I do it to not lose my mind? I don't know if I could do it. I don't know. These are horrible I don't questions think I could. that I didn't think. I didn't think I would like, have to ask myself. Yeah, these are the philosophical questions of Smile. Right? Didn't <laughs> think that. Didn't think Smile was going to test my brain that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it, well, and then it she does actively <laughs> chooses to not tell Joel about what she found out. That was a that was a big strike. I don't. I can't believe that she did that. Yeah, that was that was a bold and wrong. Like choice. he's trying to help her. He believes her mm-hmm. too. But yeah. But he also doesn't seem like the type that would be like, okay, let's like fucking kill someone. He'd probably be like, okay, well, we're not going to do that. Uh, so yeah, let's like, try okay, to find something else. Up. Well, yeah, and I think that's why she didn't tell him was to keep that option open. But like, oh, we also know right. Rose. We've spent the movie with her. Like, there's no right. way she's going to act actually be able to do it. But yeah, that I think that's why she doesn't tell Joel. Because if he knew that that was even on her mind he would have to, like, lock her up. Well, and you see what I mean about how the secondary victimization brings identity shifts? Like, Rose, Mm -hmm. we saw her with her client in the beginning. We saw the type of mental health worker that she is. She would never do it. She would never think about harming another person, let alone a a patient of hers. And Jesus Christ, what a dream uh, when Mm -hmm. she goes to the hospital to kill that guy. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Because even the demon is like, bitch, make up your mind. Are you going to kill somebody or am I going to kill you? Uh, might I suggest <laughs> killing this guy and doing it in front of your shithead supervisor? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then she wakes up from that daydream to her supervisor knocking on her window being like, hey, um, what's going on? You're not supposed to be here. And then he notices the knife in her car. Right. And like any good, and like hey, you know, I, crisis I know you've not been like, doing Let's well. Not make you be alone right now. Let's get you inside the hospital. Yeah, let's get you some help. Right. And she skirt skirts away. She's been skirt skirting a lot because she's also she, she meets uh, with her psychologist. Uh, she starts straight up lying to her. Uh, she's being very defensive while she's doing mm-hmm. it, and that's about what I was like. Well, that's you know, at fuck, her house. Fuck her. It That's is, because not... well, she shows up to be like, hey, just checking in on you, um, you mm-hmm. seem to not be doing well at all, uh, you got really pissed off at your husband when he called me, um, you brought up a lot of shit that seemed like it was to be defensive, so I'm just gonna check in one more time, and this is when I reach the point of like, you know what, fuck Rose, I'm not just gonna watch her destroy her life and then pretend like she's fine, when she knows this thing is coming after her, and, like, lying mm-hmm. to herself is not going to offset it. And I think that's why it's so cool that that isn't actually her psychologist, because it's well, yeah, kind of I... her trying to be like, you know what, I can just deny all of this. And the thing's like, no, you can't. No, you can't, you can't well, fucking lie love... to me, man. <laughs> I love that the fake psychologist hears her phone ringing and just goes, well, aren't you going to answer that? And that's when Rose finds out that her psychologist her real psychologist is calling her and so yeah. she realizes that the whole denial she's been going through was for nothing because the curse itself knows that it's real obviously yeah. like the curse has now reached that point where it's freddy krueger being like you can try to wake up from your dream but it's not gonna work 
Mm-hmm. And like that's when you're like, oh, okay, okay. This thing has gotten a lot more out of hand than I thought yeah. it did. <laughs> but mm-hmm. to go back to um, when she peels the fuck out of the hospital after Doctor decides, like, hey, uh, let's go inside and talk. She calls Joel and she's like, I've done it. I know exactly how I'm going to beat it. I'm going to lock myself away from people forever. And then mm-hmm. it can't pass. And Joel, yeah. my man, is is at, is he's just the best. Because he's like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Your plan is to just avoid people? That doesn't seem like it will work at all. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the point. Maybe at this point we're not supposed to like or agree with Rose because she's choosing destruction over, you know, like anything to to avoid confronting the problem. So mm-hmm. it's almost like this is more of a cautionary tale of, like, what not to do. Yeah. Well, and then she makes the mistake of, oh, I'll run away from my problems by running to the place where my problems started. And, like, Which she is didn't pretty think symbolic. that the curse would know that that would be, like, the best place to fuck with her. It, it would, but it also sets her up to be in the best place to beat it. Mm-hmm. Because the house itself is an embodiment of, you know, what happened to her. So yeah. to face it in that context is going to be pretty, you know, unique. I also want to note that, you know, because it shows up as her psychologist, this is the moment where the curse f- finds physical manifestation and it becomes not a metaphor. It becomes a, a literal thing. Um, mm-hmm. And originally well, and this is I also... was not cool with it, but now it seems to be more okay because it decrease. It doesn't really decrease the cerebral aspects of the story that much. It mm-hmm. kind of just makes them more, you know, kind of awesome that it works both ways. Yeah. Well, and I do appreciate that this is also when it brings up the, like, kind of moral gray area in Rose's trauma that um, it kind of gives two different looks at how the overdose happened. Because I've seen some arguments about whether or not when um, Rose's mom says mommy made a mistake when she's trying to talk to Rose to get her to get help about whether or not the overdose was accidental and she actually did make a mistake or if she's having second thoughts about the suicide that she attempted and she wants a new chance at life but rose being a literal child was in no place to offer that help to her so um we're in we're getting into some pretty heady uh dark territory uh especially with this the end of this bit of the movie so before mm-hmm. we get into it I, I i will bring it to a lighter context um you remember in the comic books the spider-man comic books when gwen stacy died because the green goblin threw her off a bridge and mm-hmm. peter blamed himself so much that he thought he killed gwen stacy because he just couldn't save her mm-hmm. that when they did the the uh, the retcon of it in later comics they had him shoot web to her and the the whiplash of catching her snaps her neck and that he actually mm-hmm. does he actually is the person that killed her 
and I think the reason they did that is because it was so profound to have Spidey like blame himself. Uh, mm-hmm. That when they went back and revisited that story, they're like, wouldn't it be so much more profound if he did actually cause her death? And how much more of a hurdle is that for someone like Spider-Man to get over? So in this context, it's kind of the same. It almost serves a, a disservice to Rose to postulate that maybe her mother tried to take it back and Rose just couldn't do anything. Because I guarantee that's what she thinks. Because that's the... I mean, that would be the direct one-to-one step of I blame myself for my mom's death because I couldn't save her. Mm -hmm. When I first saw it, at least just from the the beginning scene of of her mom in bed, it feels like she was drinking alcohol and doing pills. Which Mm -hmm. anyone that's ever known anything about chemistry or drugs or alcohol knows that that is asking for trouble. If you're going to the biggest no, no, right. If you're going to be using downers pills that are downers that slow your breathing, and then you're going to drink a bunch of alcohol, which does the same thing. Those two things are just going to stop you completely. You're just going to die. You're going to go to sleep and you're going to die. Whether you meant to or not. And you're not always going to know. So it's a crapshoot either way. So whether or not Rose killed her mom is only really relevant to her because it serves to be what drives her to not want to go back to that house. Because when she goes back to that house, she's a child again. Mm -hmm. And I, I really can't describe it, but something about this house, I really don't like. It's so unnerving. You know what I mean? Like, it's... To go back to Skinner. Like, yeah, I don't have, like, like it, it, a it right pulls descriptor. On these, yeah, like, it pulls on these, like, very old memories of childhood and these mm-hmm. way too abstract, like, unformed cognitive fears about, like... I just look at those rooms, those empty rooms, and I, and that, that house has been desolate for years, but I am just so profoundly unsettled when i imagine what life must have been like in there for those two girls like i am lucky enough that i grew up in a household that was never close to anything like this and Mm -hmm. but i know there's a lot of people out there that haven't and they've grown up with parents that were you know maybe not the best mentally sorted out and home was not safe for them and Mm -hmm. because now the years have taken their toll on this house it's like physicalized the, the monster that is this house that is her past. And yeah. it's just such a cool way to like orchestrate your big finale and what it means for her is you're putting all of us viewers into her brain because we know what it means for her. We've seen the flashes of her past, but going there mm-hmm. and, and putting context to all of them. It makes me not want to be in that house, you know, and I didn't yeah. grow up there, you know what I mean? Like, that's so cool that this movie captured well, that feeling. And I kind of love that when she finally does have to, like, face her mom, that the actor actor or actress who portrays the mom at that point is physically larger than Rose mm-hmm. because it had the same perspective of how a child would look at a parent, but from an adult's perspective, yeah which is like so sad but like so important to the to the moment because you have to feel the same level of like 
I can do only so much because of where I am in life. Yeah, man. And because it's a monster, like because the smile creature is a entity, mm-hmm. it, it just it makes it a perfect uh vessel to make mom a physical monster because in like again if you strip away the fact that the smile thing is a a creature that consciously fucks with people Mm -hmm. if it's not that and it's purely just a metaphor for unresolved trauma the movie still totally works like she views her mother as this scary omnipotent being because when you're a kid your parents are like that And, and you don't have the mental faculties to deal with parental addiction or mm-hmm. whatever whatever various thing can traumatize children and yeah as that as you grow up and the more and more you push that down the more and more monstrous your past becomes and it's mm-hmm. not because it has any power over you you gave it all of that power so when she does confront it when it turns into her mom that's how she tries to kill it where she's like Listen, I'm working out my problems. You are not mm-hmm. a monster to me. You're just a woman. Like it's it's the end of it chapter 2 played out longer. It's like it's minimizing something to a just real. Like this was just mm-hmm. a woman who made bad decisions, who couldn't handle her own mental health, succumbed to addiction and tragically died. Yeah. She didn't do that on purpose. She didn't do that to haunt her daughters. She did that unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And Rose has let that define her. And now mm-hmm. she's forced to confront it because it's literally trying to kill her. Yeah. Um, And I do kind of like that here at the end we get an answer for what happened in the room with Lauren back many, many moons ago. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, with the creature actually, like, physically climbing into the body to take over. Yeah. Uh, also, I know it's kind of, like, the embodiment of the monster, but the, like, thousands of jaws. Yeah. Smile. <laughs> is it kind of made it cooler at. on the second watch, because, again, like... I really much rather look at, like looking at this movie from the cerebral, uh, metaphorical aspect of what the smile thing is. It isn't that. It's a physical creature. Uh, and even that, like on the second watch through, because what it looks like in its rawest form stripped away of the skins that it metaphorically and literally wears, it's mm. just got a bunch of different rows of teeth that yeah. kind of... You know, it's just very cool. It's a very scary looking thing. But this is where I get into problematic territory, and I or I know a lot of people have problematic territory. The ending of this movie I don't know if it feels out of place or maybe disappointing just because of the journey we were on. Uh I don't like that she loses, you know? Or and I don't like that she loses in this way. I so I get why she loses in the way that she does, but I also understand the people who are frustrated with how it ends. Like, she could have killed herself and broken the chain, and it would have been a very solemn end to a story about mental health struggles, and, you know, everyone would have come away with it, like, in Rose's life, being like, damn, wish we could have done something else, right? 
and mm-hmm. not really knowing that she didn't do that just because of her trauma. She did it to, to stop this thing. Uh, or she could have stopped it, actually. Like, she she does have a whole period of time where she believes she's killed it because she's mm-hmm. overcome her trauma. And I was like, I buy that. I, I'm down for that. No one's really tried opening up to beat it before, so it might work. Mm-hmm. Um or she could have killed herself, and we think that it's like, well, how that's very sad. It ends up still having a second life because she did traumatize her nephew. And yeah. uh, at the very least, having him looking out the window and seeing his aunt with the smile. Like, see, I wonder it, if it's that's not completely too out depressing. Of the possibility to see her. Because she did traumatize him. Like, she could be one of those things that, like... Like, the art the art history teacher who sees his brother. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like, he well, sees yeah. the smile creature as something that traumatized him, and his aunt, unknowingly, traumatized him. Well, see, that's, that's the only sequel I would accept for this movie, is if it takes place decades later, and it's that the smile creature finally returns to him. After yeah. he was traumatized as a child. That I would be okay with. I don't want a direct sequel to this movie. Because I don't think that would work. I do think it would be interesting about later on. Having a generational trauma. Return to him. Right. To see if right. he could do better than his aunt. Because I right. think that like, could make for an interesting movie. I agree. And I, I really hope that if they end up doing that. They go the route of. I don't want to say this movie needs to have a happy ending. But like. I don't know. I feel like because I it's such an important movie... I think this movie didn't, but if there was sure, a sequel, it would have to it have should. a happy it, 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 Fuck, we need it to be. Like, we really just... Like, yeah. It's the first movie that we get that has, like, a very uh, poignant message about the cycle of victimization and trauma, and then it's like, no, human beings are just at the whims of this interdimensional demon that's like, you don't deserve to be happy because you didn't resolve your trauma. Like, mm-hmm. I get that. But, man, it's just rough for me to watch. Maybe that's just a personal note, but, like, it's not that I hate the ending. I I do not at all hate it because it it does work, and I think that it's cool because how it does end is Rose thinks that she's escaped from the house, killing the creature. She hasn't. It Mm -hmm. invades her body just in time for Joel to show up. She douses herself in gasoline and sets herself on fire in front of Which him. we see through his eye, not, like, straight on. Which I also think is a great, like, shot ending to this movie. It is. It's a very, like, A24-type ending shot where it's just in the middle of, like, the most fucked up shit, and then it's just done. <laughs> yeah, and then it's got a happy tune in the credits. Yeah, they play to, like, the cheer fucking... you up. What's that? I can't remember the name. It's like that old, like, lollipop, lollipop. Like that. It's that song. Yep. Which is <laughs> not at all where we should be at. Because I'm still trying to put the pieces together of, like, wait, so is this movie saying trauma cannot be overcome? Or, no, there's no way it's saying. Like, I'm just trying to be like, wait, what? Wait, yeah. I was so ready for them to be like, and that's how things get better and it's okay. Or at least, like,. Mm-hmm. You know, she's okay, and we think everything's fine, but man, Jackson sees her, man, because she, her sister makes that point to be like, you traumatized my son. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. gotta mean something, because whether she did or not, like, 
you know, the, the prisoner did say, like, suicide's not the only way to traumatize somebody. Like, if you yeah. do it in such an important, visceral, emotionally upsetting way, it stands to reason that you don't have to kill anybody. You can mm. just do something horrible, which yeah. I also don't really want to th- think about either. But it does, it would, for me at least, that was, like, my, like, big gripe is, like, I just wish that they ended the movie with that. Whether or not mm. Rose died. <laughs> yeah. Um. But that's the only negative thing I have to say about this movie, truly, is that I'm like, damn yeah, it, I wish that that happened. It's such a good movie. I think it's currently streaming on Paramount Plus, and I think it's supposed to move to Amazon Prime later this month for streaming services. Um, I know it's available at Redbox if people still do physical rentals. I know that's Which where I picked should. up my copy of it. Right. Because I, I, I own this of movie. Because they have good oh, deals yeah. sometimes. I, I bought Orphan First Kill from there. Uh, we, we just covered that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I got Orphan First Kill from there. I got Beast from there. Uh, and nice. I also got... Uh, God, I got something else. That was Blood Quantum. Remember Blood Quantum? <gasps> yeah. So I own it now. <laughs> so whenever I move back home, I'll be like, yo, we will cover Blood Quantum. Perfect. Speaking of things that we're going to cover, um, I'm a complete different uh, from <laughs> Smile... Um, something that's going to be purely out of the fun and as like our gift to you, our Valentine's Day month gifts to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be covering the Twilight franchise, the Twilight Saga from Twilight all the way through Breaking Dawn Part 2. Remember, we're covering movies. This is a yes. movie podcast. Just the movies. So we, I, I have not read the books. Um, I know many people that have. And I'm sure I'll be consulting them. Um, mm-hmm. We might have some people come on to help us talk about these movies because, as you probably have noticed, we are two uh, men who, of a yep. certain age of when these movies came out that probably uh, roasted them a lot. And oh, um, yeah. because, I mean, you're probably asking yourself, like, Twilight's not a horror movie. You're right, but neither was Underworld. And uh, we I was covered like, it's that. close enough. It's got <laughs> yeah, vampires. Shut up. Just let us cover it. <laughs> Plus, I uh, think because it's one of those things that, like, when you bring it up, people are either like, I fucking love it, or at least back in the day, it was like, man, fuck Twilight. Mm-hmm. We are a show that is all about positively marketing mo- horror movies or horror adjacent properties um, and saying why they are good, what's, what's worth watching about them. Plus, we're coming in as an unbiased third party to see what is good about these movies. And we're going to tell all of you. (laughs) That's true. And I cannot wait to go through it with you because, like, as one of the reasons that we we decided to pick this anyway uh, was because multiple times, especially during our Underworld series, um, Mm -hmm. it's been very apparent that I have watched all of the Twilight movies. And And I uh, have not. And you haven't. (laughs) And I enjoyed them. Which means mm-hmm. that there's plenty to enjoy. Um, yes. There will be plenty of... prepared for me to make a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer jokes. Oh, so God. Just be ready for it. <laughs> oh, my God. I sent this to you uh, just before we recorded, but I want to tell everybody. Uh, I was in the middle of doing <laughs> an uh, article summary. I have to do these weekly article summaries for uh, one of my classes. And they're all um, very thick, boring research articles 
uh, about like cognitive processes and shit. And this one was about like moral judgment, where it comes from. And the article mm. began with a quote from Buffy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I immediately descended to Danny because uh, I'm like, you'll you'll appreciate this, and also it's appreciate true. the hellscape I that I have to slog through to read the rest of this. Yeah. Um, but, but so yes, that's so... what's going to be the rest of the month. Yeah, that's the rest of this month, and then capping off after we finish the Twilight movies, because we got thrown off a little bit with our schedules here, we are going to finish off Twilight, and then we're going to jump in with one more movie from late in 2022 with Barbarian. Yeah, Barbarian! Which which I'm excited to rewatch and talk about. shit, I am, yep. Very, very excited for (laughs) Barbarian. I'm very excited about the series to come as well. Uh, yes, we've been, um, it's not been our fault. We promise we've been recording episodes. Uh, I mean, by the time people hear this, there will not be a problem. They will be at out. At the very yeah. least. Yeah. Uh, we just had some issues with the RSS feed that gets the episodes from us to Spotify. Um, mm-hmm. we've been recording content this whole time. We're just going to release it kind of just all here. Start We're dumping a lot Twilight. on you. Yeah. You can catch up. Oh yeah, plenty of time. Twilight to... should be a weekly release like we're used to. Oh yeah, because there'll be the four Twilight movies, so you can listen to all of our episodes we did before the Twilight movies week to week if you want. And then by the time mm-hmm. that you get you count ca- you get yeah you get caught up, we will be done with Twilight. Um, and you can t- send us messages about everything that we got wrong. Uh, all of the things that we overlooked, how we didn't mention things in the books, all of these mm-hmm. things and more. Um, but it doesn't matter because uh, I'm very excited that we're covering this. And I'm very excited for the year to come. We've got a lot of stuff, like we always say, yes. coming on the pike. And um, we're very excited to continue with all of you. You can reach us at squarehorrorpodcast.com. Oh, yes, <laughs> oh, yes <laughs> I was waiting for the social media. <laughs> I was like, yes, of course, and that is everything I need to say. Follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. Uh, and Danny did his line already. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to bog anyone down with more therapeutic advice, but, um, yeah, my advice is go to therapy if you need it. Um, don't be mean to people that have trauma. And uh, talk to your friends, peers, and loved ones about things that bother you, because even if they gaslight you into saying that you're a burden, find other people to talk to, because you are not a burden. No one that ever talks about their problems when they really need to get them off their chest is ever a burden, and I'm very sorry if you ever felt like that, but I'm hoping that because we've talked way too much about trauma and secondary victimization on this episode, at the very least you'll think to yourself... I mean, I know I'm not the target of some kind of interdimensional trauma-based demon curse, but hey, maybe therapy's not so bad. <laughs> That's some good advice this week, Matt. I'm really. I, I don't really always. Like I'm not always on it. I'm <laughs> not always together with these. But this time, you you had this one in the pocket. You were ready. Hell yeah! Give me. And until next three. time, you all stay spooky out there. Mm-hmm.